0: Well, good morning. Welcome you, I want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. Uh, and as, as we get started, I, can we bring this microphone down a little bit for me, Kurt, please? Thank you. Uh, I do want to, if you are sitting here today and thinking, man, it's a little bit warm today, are they trying to make an illustration? No, they're not. Uh, the air conditioner is out uh, for the sanctuary. And so, um, Nathan, can you open this door over here? to the left. We're trying to keep the doors open so that the wind will move for you in here a little bit, but we're going to have to go old school. You're just going to have to take the little bulletin thing and fan yourself. That's perfectly appropriate. And so I just want to bring your attention to that. John Kelly, our chair of the trustees, said he wanted me to make an announcement last week to let you know that shorts and tank tops are appropriate in this time. Um, So it is a little warmer in here. We do apologize for that, but what are you going to do, right? Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention now to the Word of God. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, I thank you that um, as we celebrated last week that that you have risen from the grave. And God, that you are still alive, that you are still on your throne, that you are still in control. And that in in spite of inconveniences and, and struggles that seem insurmountable in our life, our lives, God, that, that you are still working and moving, that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives, that you have placed a calling upon each of us, and God, may we respond to that calling, both the calling of, of your great salvation, but also the calling of, of service for your gospel. So God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we would hear your voice calling to us, and that we would respond in appropriate ways, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know how things work in your family, but in the Miller's Myers household in which I grew up, uh, nicknames were a rite of passage. As a matter of fact, if you were called by your actual given name, you were probably in trouble. You had probably done something to get yourself in trouble and you were being addressed on a professional level, which was decidedly not a good thing. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people that don't even know the names of my siblings and step-siblings because we just don't use them. And and the names don't necessarily have anything to do with the actual name of the person. I'll give you a few examples of some of the nicknames that go through the Miller household, uh, if you will. First, we have Moose. Now, you may think to yourself, that's your brother, Andrew, who's a big dude who played football. No, that is my sister, Amy, who was actually the smallest of all of us, and so her name was Moose. That's what we called her, and there are lots of people that's all that they know her as. Poor girl, right? I'm sorry, I didn't give it to her, right? I have another sister. And and her name is AD. That's what we call her. AD. Hers actually connects to her name because her actual name is Amber Dawn. So we just have used the, the abbreviated first letter of each name, AD is what we call her. Moon. Moonbeam was actually the name. So the names don't even have to be shorter. Her name was Amanda, and it became Moonbeam, which is actually a lot more letters. And, and so that's what we call her Moon. Coob. Where do we get that from? I have no idea. Her name is Kathy, but but we call her Kubi. And then my personal favorite, Wepper Dean. Wepper Dean, her actual name is Stephanie. Uh, You do the math. I have no idea where these names come from. My my personal nickname, my family doesn't, they never call me by the name Jeremy. My name in the household is Chumma. Chumma, or Uncle Chumma, as the case may be. And there's a long story I can tell you later about how the the name made its way from Jeremy to Chuma. There actually is a progression, but we'll spare you that this morning. But everybody in our household, in the Miller-Myers family, has a nickname. And you know that you've passed from friend to family when we no longer call you by your actual name and call you by your nickname. When we stop calling you by your given name and be calling, begin calling you by the name which we have given you, we have adopted you fully into the family. You have been integrated into our system. And it doesn't take long for us. I, I, love, I love the nicknames and I love the fact that we go by that. I love the fact that we, we bring in people so quickly because it communicates something, it communicates that you have been accepted it communicates that that you are now known and owned by the family it communicates that that you are loved and cared for that that you have a place and a purpose among us that we have a that you have a part to play in making us complete as crazy as we might be and when they call me by that name chuma i don't think twice about it there's no part of me that wants to correct them i I immediately respond, because that is, in that context, who I am, and when they call, I respond. Now, I would say that God has called each of us in a variety of ways, in a variety of times. Just as he's called men and women in days gone by, but do we hear when the Lord calls to us? Do we hear when he calls our name and when he invites us into deeper relationship with him? Do we hear him and respond when he invites us to follow him into new seasons of service? Do we trust him? Or do we try to opt out? Do we make excuses as to why we can't do what God has asked us to do? Do we we find reasons to avoid the, the opportunities that God has placed in front of us because we don't feel they fit who we are and how we function? The prophet Jeremiah paints a clear picture of how this often plays out for the people of God. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And you can thank Pastor Larry for this sermon. I actually delivered a version of this sermon a couple weeks ago at a senior adult day. Pastor Larry came to me afterwards and he said, our church needs to hear this. And so I I edited it and changed it around this week, and so here we are. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4, says this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. It actually was one of the passages I thought about when we decided to name JJ Jeremiah. I love the the clarity in the calling of God here. And I love the discourse and and even the the discord in the conversation. I mean, I would love to have been a fly on the wall of this conversation. As God comes to Jeremiah and says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And Jeremiah says to God, "Ah, I don't know about that. Are you sure? Like, doesn't really fit where I think I am in this season of my life. I don't know that that really fits my gifts and abilities, Lord. I don't know that that fits what i prepared for to this point, God. Maybe we should rethink this and recalibrate. Can, can we just have a conversation briefly about what exactly you want from me and where I think I might fit into your kingdom? Because this, I don't, I don't know about this for me. I think there's a lot for us to learn because there's a lot in this response that I think is similar to how we often respond to God when he calls to us. But what's clear in this passage throughout is this, that God has a purpose for you. I realize that this passage is specifically for Jeremiah, and it is a particular call for him at this time. But, but as we look to the New Testament, we understand that God has made a clear call to each of us. To each of us sitting in this room, if you are here listening to the sound of my voice, if you are listening online, if you are listening on the radio, and you can hear the words that I am saying, listen to me, God has called you. You are called. And that plays out in a couple of ways that we're going to look at today. But God has a purpose for your life. Now when God calls, though, it requires a response on our part. It's not just a matter of us hearing from God, but us actually engaging and moving forward in response to that call. The passage today starts with these words. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, As is often the case in in the original language, if we look at the Hebrew, the, the wording is more robust than what our English can handle. There's more layers to what's being said. And and yes, as as far as a direct translation goes, the word word is probably the best single word to utilize in this case. But the word word doesn't communicate everything. The word in this case, for word, actually communicates not just a statement, but an experience in the hebrew it carries the idea of an event a major an event or or happening in one's life this this voice of the lord Coming to Jeremiah, God speaking to Jeremiah, calling to Jeremiah is not just words out of the Lord's mouth, but it is a it is a watershed moment in his life. It is a signpost to which Jeremiah will be able to look back in subsequent days when things get dark and difficult to remember. Yes, the Lord spoke to me then. It may feel like he is silent now, but God spoke to me clearly back then, and I had this experience with God, and God... Called me to do something specific. He called me into deeper relationship with himself. And it may feel like he is gone and that there is no hope for this situation. But God said, and so this is what's going to happen. It's not just a conversational interaction. But an experience. And I I believe that the scripture teaches... That we are called to these watershed kinds of moments throughout our lives as we follow the Lord. And maybe watershed is the the wrong word because sometimes they do feel grandiose. And I hear people all the time talking, uh, generally Christian people, if you will, who who talk about their salvation experience or the way that God changed their life. And they're like, well, I don't really have a good testimony. Like, what what does that even mean? Like, there's a bad way that God saves people? Like, you're saved, I'm sorry, that doesn't really work for me, you know, God... God called you into his family, not a big deal. I, you, you should really add some details to that to beef it up a little. I don't think we need to do that. If That moment when God calls you to salvation, where you understand the truth of the gospel, and it clicks in your mind, that, that the thing we talked about yesterday, last week, that the cross of Christ and him hanging on the cross and dying and rising again, that, that you understand that that happened, and that points back to the John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I I would submit to you that when you come to an understanding that that passage and the gospels as whole apply to your life, that that is a watershed moment. And it doesn't matter if you're four years old and you just gradually understood it because you had a great family. You know what, that's a great testimony. God bless you if you had amazing parents who brought you to church and taught you about Jesus and you cannot remember a time when you did not know Christ. Praise God. And you know what, good on you parents if that's what's happened in your house. But if you waited and maybe later in life it, it clicked in your head and you wandered far from God and you ignored your parents and you did your own thing and you went on your own path. But, but you had a moment where, where the bottom fell out and, and in the depths of your despair God came to you and he lifted you up from the mire and the mud and you realized that God loves even me in my destruction and despair. You know what? That's amazing. But both stories are amazing. Both experiences are amazing and wonderful. Both callings are valid. I've told the story, and I I will continue telling it, and I don't apologize, that my salvation came at First Baptist Church in Elkhart, Indiana. And it came over time from from me going to Sunday school and riding a church bus and and going and being involved, And, and we had this evangelist come, And he did this this big thing and had a screen. And it wasn't like our modern screens. You know, you had to use uh, overhead projectories. I don't know if you all remember that, where you had to, like, have someone sitting by the transparency. And then they would just put the thing in. Like, like, heaven help them if they couldn't get the one they had in the they're, like, licking their fingers and trying to get it on there. But they, they had, that's what we had, the overhead projector. And, and they had, like, little videos that they were just getting to use. And so, like, they had the picture of this guy, and, and he was supposed to be in hell. And they had a red sheet, and it was shaking. And it was the worst graphics I've ever seen. And the guy's like, oh, I'm in hell. This is so terrible. And I, you know what? The reality is, for me, as a 9-year-old kid, it scared the living H-E double hockey sticks out of me. I was terrified. And so I ran to the safest place I could think of in First Baptist Church of Elkhart the bathroom. And I hid in a stall, I could take you to the spot right now, I can see it clearly in my head, I can even smell the smells. But I was sitting in a bathroom stall, and there in a bathroom stall at First Baptist Church of Elkhart, Indiana, God spoke to me, the word of the Lord came to me, and I understood that Jesus died for me. And that ridiculous thing I'd seen on the screen led to the life-changing experience and calling of my life where I accepted the salvation of Jesus Christ. You know, what? some people, I've told that story and people are like, well, that's kind of an embarrassing salvation story. No, it's not. I came to Jesus. Jesus found me in a bathroom. Tell me where he can't find you. That's an amazing experience. That is a calling. That is a watershed moment that I look back to. 1989, First Baptist Church, 2929 Prairie Street Elkhart Indiana I could take you to the spot where the word of the Lord came to me, and I experienced salvation. That's calling. That's awesome. And if you have one of those experiences, it's worth sharing. I have another experience though that happened at Lake Ann Bible Camp in Michigan. Lake Ann Bible Camp. I was there and I did not want to go at all. I was the only 7th grade boy at this winter retreat with 130 some odd kids. It went about as well as you would expect for me in the cabin. I did not enjoy it. And and right before we left for it, my dad had left our family for the first of what would be many times. We had no idea where he was. We had no idea if he was dead in a ditch. And we decided last minute that I would go to camp anyways. And I am here to tell you that I was a broken kid at that camp. And I had no, I remembered 1989, but I still at that point, I had no idea where God was in this situation. And I was bitter and I was angry and I didn't want to be there. And in the midst of that season and situation, I remember sitting in the seat, feeling completely alone, unspeakably alone and hurting in ways I cannot describe to you. And as I sat in that seat, and I listened to the speaker speak, I heard a voice in the back of my head say, he's speaking to you. And the speaker was speaking about how God can use anyone that's willing to step forward in faith to serve him with whatever gifts they have, and that maybe there's someone in the room that God is calling to be a pastor. And I remember thinking, I, I'm not the one, Lord. I'm the son of a guy that deals drugs in northern Indiana. We don't even know where he is right now. You want to find someone else. The, the church doesn't even want me in youth group leadership because I'm unqualified and unfit because of my family. If I'm unfit to help in the youth group, I'm certainly unfit to help with the church, leading your church as a whole. And, and I, I just continue to feel this urge. And so when they When they called for the altar call and they called for us to walk out and walk across the way into the the cafeteria, before I knew what I was doing, I was making my way over and across. And I remember talking to Brent was the name of the counselor I spoke to that day. Just a high school senior, had no idea what he was doing. And he said, well, if the Lord is speaking to you, then the Lord is speaking to you, and that's a good thing. And let's just pray that God will help you walk into that calling. And that day, sitting at that cafeteria table, a broken kid, not knowing where my dad was, not knowing what was going to happen with my family, being told my whole life that I wasn't quite enough by both family and friends, I sat at that table and felt the Lord, word of the Lord come to me and say, you are going to be a pastor. You will be a youth pastor. And I... That, that was a watershed moment, and from that moment on, there was no question in my mind. From the time I was 13 years old, I knew that I was going to be a pastor. I never questioned it. You know why? Because I could look back to that table in that moment where God called me when I was up at the camp that I didn't want to be at, experience the experience that I didn't want to experience, and in that moment, in the midst of this terrible situation, the word of the Lord came to me, and God called me into his service. And your experiences will be totally different than mine. I could give you more experiences. Your experiences will be different than mine. But again, if you are hearing my voice today, the word of the Lord is coming to you. God is calling to you, whether it is a call for salvation, that you accept his amazing grace and forgiveness, that you allow him to clean your soul and to take your sin upon himself, which he's already done on the cross, that you accept that grace. God is calling you to salvation or he is calling you to service saying, come and join me in my work for the gospel to reach the world with my good news. God is calling you. And we need to make note of these moments when God calls to us so that in moments of darkness and doubt, which will undoubtedly come, we can look back and remember, no, 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 the Lord did say to me, the Lord did speak to me, I still have a purpose. And and here's something that brings hope to me in this, that God's plan is not a new thing. It's not that we, God calls us to salvation and we're saved and God's like, oh my goodness, I forgot to make a plan for what's next for their life. What am I going to have them do? Well, they really don't have any skills, so I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with them. Which is sometimes how we act. We act like Jeremiah, like God, God, he saved me, sure, but I really can't do anything. But read, listen to these words, and I want you to take note of these words. Verse 5, God says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I set you apart. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now you could... We could have the debate, and you could say, oh, well, that's just for Jeremiah. But we could go to the Psalms and see that, that, that God knit each of us together in our mother's wombs. We could go to the New Testament and see where, where it says over and over that before the foundations of the world, God called to us. That we were created. Before we were ever saved, God created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he created in advance for us to do. God had a plan for you before he created you. Before you were born, you were known, you were set apart, and you were appointed. You were known, you were set apart, and you were appointed. When it says you were known, this goes beyond simple cognitive understanding. That, that I know your name and you know mine, that I know that that you know that I like green and bright colored shoes, that 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 I know this, that about you. It's it's beyond just about, about surfacey details. To know someone in the Bible is to have intimate, detailed relational knowledge. It, it communicates a, a sense of connection and productive interaction. That God knows you at the deepest levels of who you are. Again, that passage in Psalms talks about that we can't go anywhere to hide from God's presence. That, That we can't hide who we are from the Lord. That he sees us wherever we go. This passage even tells us that, that even back when we were in the womb, before we were born, before, as God was knitting us together, he knew who we are. He, he knew who we were. God knew who you were before your mother knew she was pregnant with you. God had a plan for you. God had a purpose for you. Long before anyone knew you were going to walk on this earth. The creator of the universe spent Equal amount of time creating you that he did the cosmos. What an encouraging thought that God knows. And it's scary, I guess, at a, at a level that God knows the deep, dark parts of me. But there's something about getting all that out into the open and being willing to, and knowing that God loves me and loves you in spite of all the difficulties and dirts and darkness in our lives. That God still loves you. God knows you were set apart this is a word that that was used for priests priests would be set apart and priests would set apart and consecrate very various objects for use in the temple It, it was a process through which they would recognize the purpose for which something was made they would purify it and make it holy and then they would put it into use for said purpose and it was considered blasphemy to not use that thing for that purpose. We use a word for this in the New Testament, the word is sanctification, that God has set apart us apart through His grace. He has pulled us out of the, the, the mire and mess of our lives and set us apart for His use. He has made us right and useful. We've been set apart. We've been appointed. Appointment goes beyond being set apart to actually being put in use. When when something or someone is appointed, they are put into practice. They are then moved into service. And our appointment is in part the same as Jeremiah's. To serve as God's representatives to the nations. That's what God says to Jeremiah. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. If we look in the New Testament, we see... In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, we, that's us, church age, right? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are official, chosen, legal representatives for Jesus to to talk about who he is, to share his message and his love and his grace with the world. That's all of us. If If you are a follower of Christ, you are appointed to this task. The the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission isn't just for for pastors or certain people, but, but go into all nations, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. That calling is a general calling that goes to all of us. Jesus Our king and master has called his followers to make disciples of all nations. And you may say to me this morning, well, I don't know. Gee, that's really not my skill set. Well, God knows you again, right? he's, He's the engineer who put you together. An engineer or a mechanic doesn't suddenly cease understanding a car after going from concept to creation. The knowledge of the intent of the creation is the foundation for continued and complete knowledge as a car runs in real time. No one knows better the purpose, the function, and form of that car than the person that created it, right? No one understands the intent for which that car was created or how it was supposed to be used in quite the same way as the engineer and the mechanic that put it together. In the same way, there is no one that understands who you are And of what you are capable more or better than God Almighty. He knits you together. He knows what you can do. God knows your strengths and weaknesses. He knows your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your potential, and your problems. He created you. He knows how you work and what you can do better than you or I ever could. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, where and how might God be able to use you in ways he might not use others? You know, we often, in youth ministry world, will can encourage youth to, to be missionaries in their schools. That's that's where they can represent Jesus. Some of this is common sense. Where is it that you are every day? Who is it the people that you're around every day? You are called to be Christ to those people. You are called to be Christ's ambassadors in that place to those people in this season. God has a mission for us, but we have to answer his call. In order for Jeremiah to pursue his purpose in this passage, he had to listen to the voice of God and ultimately respond the calling that came to him. But I want us to look at what happens. Here we have this prophet, one of the major prophets of the Bible, and God calls to him and this is his appointment, and God says, hey, come do this thing, and verse 6, we see the response from Jeremiah as God speaks to him. Jeremiah says, alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak, I am too young. Now I don't want us to miss this, because Jeremiah does something kind of funny here. Jeremiah acknowledges that God is sovereign, right? Sovereignty indicates that someone has the right, to, the, the right and ability to rule and reign. They, they have the right to control the situation and the power to make the decision and make it happen. And Jeremiah basically says, now God, I get that you, that you run the cosmos and you put this together and you're in control and you can do what you want, but I think you might have missed it on this one. You know it all, God, but you might not know this. Like, maybe you've missed this one thing here. Let let me explain to you how this really works, God. Because you've been up in heaven for a while, and so maybe you've forgotten how it works down here on the real world. Jeremiah tries to explain to God. Jeremiah has doubts. Not so much about God, but about himself. And are they not doubts to which we can relate? Let's look again at what Jeremiah says. Sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak and I'm too young. I think both of those two things, ability and age, are prevalent issues and excuses that we use in the church. And let me take that back. That was an incorrect statement. I absolutely with 100% certainty know that these are the excuses that we use. You know how I know it? Because you use them with me all the time. (laughs) He might be sitting there going, oh, man, he's a little direct. Yes, he is. But it's true. I hear these things. These are the two excuses I get all the time. They generally revolve around ability and age. We have an issue with with our ability or understanding for various tasks. Jeremiah, as God Himself, who just indicated that He made Him, that He knows Him completely inside and out, has set Him apart for this particular task. Jeremiah says, God, I I am not, I don't have the skill. This isn't in my skill set, Lord. I wonder how often we miss out on opportunities to serve the Lord and to make a difference in our community. Because we think we just don't know how to do it. Well, I don't, I don't. know how to. I don't know how to talk in front of people. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how to play an instrument. Well, listen, we didn't ask you to do that. Literally, anyone can open a door on Sunday morning. I assure you that that is that is the not a hard thing. I do it every Sunday morning. You can open a door, and literally anyone can say hi, welcome to First Baptist Church. Not terribly difficult. Anyone can come and help move chairs. We, we could go through a list a mile long about things that we could do. There, there are things for I assure you that if you come to me and say, Dr. Myers, I'd love to get involved. Where can we get you? What can we do? We'll find something. We will find something for you. But how often do we miss because of our own misunderstanding of our abilities or, or a lack of a willingness to try? Often I don't know really means I'm not willing to try. I can't means I won't make the effort. I'm gonna owe him $5 because I didn't tell him that I was gonna use this and this was a different illustration. But I think about think about JJ. JJ has been playing the drums the last two weeks for us, right? And we're, we don't have, like, a regular weekly practice because the timing is difficult. So a lot of times, J.J. and I, we had, we had to play for two hours in his room yesterday to kind of get ready for today. And then we came in this morning at 9 o'clock and ran through the songs numerous times. And, you know, never once, from the moment that we knew that Mike was leaving and I told J.J., hey, buddy, you've got 30 days and you're on the big stage, never once did J.J. say, oh, I can't, I can't do that. He could have. I've never, I've never played the full set before. You know what JJ's response was? Okay. And he's learning and we're figuring things out and we're trying to get the feel and it's not going to be perfect. But you know what? He, he's willing. He's sitting in the chair. He's hitting the things. We're going to figure it out. But he's going to get better because he's willing to try and, and he, he hears the, the voice and this time it was the voice of the Lord through his father saying, hey bud, we need you to play. And, but you know what, if J.J. would have said no, I wouldn't have made him. But his willingness to try is what is going to lead to him actually doing it. You know, when, I, when the, the first time I ever gave a message to someone, I was 19 years old. First time I ever stood in front of a youth group and spoke and shared the gospel, I was 19 years old. And it's because my uncle called me and said, hey, I'm going to do a beach retreat in Myrtle Beach. Do you want to come and speak at this beach retreat? And I was like, duh. And then I had agreed to it, and I immediately thought, I have no idea how to do this. I mean, I'd taken high school speech, and that was it. I had no idea. So I sat down. I wrote out the best notes that I could, and I stood up there, and I spoke. I could show you the notes right now. They're awful. It had to have been an unbearably terrible message. But somehow God used that. Sometimes that, that's all it takes. We, we may feel like we're not able, but it's amazing. If God, can, if God can make just a couple fish and loaves, feed thousands of people, he can take your meager gifts and use them for his service as well. We also think our age is an issue. Jeremiah, in this case, thinks he's too young. Jeremiah's like, God, I'm, I'm just a youth. You know, what's interesting about this text is that Jeremiah is probably around 30 years old at the time of this writing. You know, it's only in, it's only in Western context that, that youth is actually teenage years and adolescence. In most cultures, like when I talk to the Indians about youth conferences over there, it's like people up to 40. That's youth for them. Youth is like 20 to 40 for them. In Jeremiah's day, you didn't have anything to say of worth until you'd experienced at least 30 years. Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm, I'm too young, Lord. And sometimes that's what we say. Sometimes, and so we end up thinking, well, I'll, I'll represent Jesus later. I'll live for Jesus and tell others about him when I'm older and I have more experience. But, but representing Jesus for Christians uh, comes as soon as you're saved. God wants to use us now, not just later. But you know what's really funny about this for me, and my, my doctoral thesis was on uh, intergenerational connectivity, and so I spent a lot of time with, with a, a group of senior adults. And, and over and over and over and over again, you know what the senior adults told me when I talked to them about working with youth? They're like, well, I can't, I can't do it. I'm too old. I'm too old now. Which I want to know, so so. Please explain to me, and someone, we can talk about it later, but what is that like, what is that sweet spot where we are at the perfect age for serving Jesus? I'm pretty sure it's only about four years. <laughs> you, got, you got four years of service where you're not too young or too old, but outside of that four years, sorry, I got nothing for you, I'm just too old No. same research project, I, I developed something and it's actually been quoted in a couple of journals and I, I hate that this is the one thing they take from my work, well, kind of, but the one thing they take is something I developed called the Eeyore Complex. Y'all know who Eeyore is? Eeyore is, is in the hundred acre woods, he, he's the gray looking donkey thing that's constantly losing his tail and, and, and we know what, those of us that know who Eeyore, Eeyore is, Eeyore is constantly negative, right? ears, constantly walking around the 100-acre woods going, Well, I'm sorry I'm such a bother. Guess, I guess I should go hide away. I don't want to ruin your good time. You don't really want someone like me around. I'm not very fast. I can't jump like Tigger. And I'm not happy like Pooh. And I, I just might as well go home. Sorry to ruin your time. You know what? That's what you all sound like sometime to me. <laughs> well, I can't come be a part of that thing because this is what I heard over and over and like this is actually academic research. It's in a library somewhere, over and over and over again. What I heard from people is, well, youth just don't want me around. I'm just too old. I can't keep up with them now. Can't do the things that the youth can do. Uh I don't know how to talk to youth. They got them newfangled thingamabobs they be talking about, and I don't know nothing about that. So I just, I don't know what I could do in the church anymore. What are you talking about? You know what was amazing to me as I talked to the teenagers over and over again? Is not one teenager said anything to me about not wanting old people with them because they were old. Not one teenager said, well, I I don't like the way that they dress, or I don't like, none of them said that. You know what the teenagers said when I asked them if they wanted the the older people to come hang out with them? They're like, absolutely. What what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Every single thing, this is what the Eeyore Complex is is, is then. The Eeyore Complex is when we create a narrative in our mind, and we project that into the minds of others. It's not that other people are thinking this thing about us. It's that we think that that is what they think about us. And so then our responses to them are based upon a false narrative that we have placed in their head. Things that they haven't said necessarily, but interpretations and extrapolations that we have created, they are ghost thoughts that we have placed in our heads. And I would go a step further. They are demons that we have placed in our head that are serving to divide the church. To separate us from one another. The research tells us over and over and over again, in multiple ways and multiple forms, that youth want and benefit from relationships with older adults. The research shows us over and over and over again that senior adults and older adults benefit and want relationships with the broader church. So, why are we doing this to ourselves? Put Eeyore out to pasture. You are wanted you are welcome, you still have a purpose and a value. If you are this side of the sod, God has something he wants to do with you. We are the body of Christ. The body may be able to function without a hand, but it sure does make things easier to have both, doesn't it? The truth is that each of us is gifted in different ways and for different purposes And in order for the body to function fully and properly, we need all of the parts. Listen to me. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a regular attender of First Baptist Church, you have a purpose here. You have a part to play in the mission of what God is trying to do in and through us in the community of Seymour. How does God want you to serve him? What is God calling you to This we need to understand as well. Your excuses don't work with God. Our excuses do not work with God. Obedience is the only appropriate response to the call of God. Look at the Lord's response to Jeremiah in verse 7. He says, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Jeremiah, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. You must do this. This is not optional. Get to step in. God knows better, and He has answers for our excuses. If God has called us to it, He will lead us through it, He will make a way. This is the pattern, though. If you've made excuses with God, which all of us have, we, we are in good company. There are numerous instances in the Bible where God refuses to accept the excuses of His servants, and does exceptional things in and through them, in spite of their struggles and shortcomings. Think about Moses. God comes to Moses, one of the greatest characters in the Bible, and says, "Hey Moses, I'm sending you back to my people Israel." And he says, I, God, God, "God, God, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't talk so good. I don't, I don't talk so good, Lord. I've, I've, I I've, 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 have issues with my mouth." Not only that, but he had issues with his hands. He done killed people. He was wanted. God says, it doesn't matter. I'm sending you. Got a purpose and a plan, and I'm going to use you in an amazing way. He's Moses. Gideon said, hey, I'm, I'm not from a very good family, Lord. I, I come from a really rough background, and my family is least among all the people. No one's going to listen to me. And God says, doesn't matter. Take your few men, and I'm going to destroy the enemies of the Lord. Mary, mother of Jesus, she says, hey, this is impossible. I'm a virgin. I'm just a a kid. God, how am I supposed to have a kid myself? God's like, don't worry about it, Mary. I'm going to work this out. God will work with and through us to accomplish his purposes when we're willing to step out in faith. Because we don't do it alone. God will be with us. He tells Jeremiah Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah doesn't need to be afraid because God is coming with him. The creator that made him, the creator that called him, will never leave him and will be working through him. Jeremiah isn't actually doing the work. Jeremiah is just a tool through which God is doing the work. The same is true for us. In Hebrews 13, God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. That he will help us as we, he, we live for him. But it goes beyond God just being with us, that, to, to God providing what we need to serve him. Verse 9, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. God will provide what we need to do what he's asked of us. He'll put the words in our mouth because he's put the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I I like this this quote from John Stott. You know, I stand up here and preach every week and people are like, how do you do it? I was like, listen, it's not hard, y'all. Like, I'm just saying what this says. John Stott used to say, "If, if it weren't for the word of God, I would have nothing to say. I'm just a trailer park kid from northern Indiana. I'm nothing special. But I'm called. And I believe that if I continue, And there there's not a Monday that comes where I don't wake up and turn to Robin and say, I have no idea what I'm going to say this week. I have no idea what I'm going to write this week to put in the article. I I have no... More often than not, I have... Every degree you could have, and more often than not, I feel like I'm just guessing. But you know what? God continues to use me in spite of my insecurities and my inabilities. There's a quote that says, one man with God is a majority. We need to remember that we, in fact, don't have the power to do that to which God has called us. But we don't have to. We are simply tools in the skilled hand of the creator. With God working in and through us, we are more than enough. And the truth is this, and this is what we find hope in today. Perhaps our inadequacies and inexperiences provide opportunity for divine intervention and involvement. Just like God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for in weakness My power is made great. May we lean in to the truth of the the God who has died for us and was risen from the grave. May we submit to the power and presence of his Holy Spirit within us. May we continue to grow, grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we continue to seek out how we might serve him. May we continue to hear his calling in our hearts and in our ears. know this this morning, if God has called you to salvation, he has called you to service, and he has equipped you with exactly what he needs, he has created you with exactly what you need to do that to which he has called you. May we submit to his calling, may we hear his voice, and may we obey today as he continues to draw us into deeper relationship with himself. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. I thank you for the calling that you have placed upon each of our lives, God. I pray that we would respond to that calling with obedience and openness. God, may we not be overtaken with fear, but instead may we fan into flame the gifts that you have placed in us through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit that we might serve you humbly, and graciously that your gospel might be known in and through us. God, I pray that you would give us the strength as, as First Baptist Church to open up avenues for people to serve. And Lord, I pray that you would give strength to the people of this church and community to step in and to serve in the ways you're leading. God, there's a lot of open space and I pray that we would fill it with the truth of who you are and what you've done Lord, that you would take each life in this room, that you would set it apart, that you would sanctify it, and that you would appoint us for your service. God, we submit to your calling, to your sovereign leading in Jesus' name. Amen.